I've never been like somebody who's like, Oh, I just, I need to make a ton of money and like be rich and have a big house. And like, you know, so I can say F you to all the assholes from before said I couldn't do it. Like it's just never been my attitude. That's where we differ. Right. Yes, I know. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and today's guest you may have seen on The Middle, Bones, NCIS, or as the intriguing Raina Cruz on the long-running hit series, The Vampire Diaries. I'm speaking about the one and only Leslie Ann Huff. Nice intro. Thank you. Yeah, man. <laughs> Work out my intro voice. I hope it's working. <laughs> yeah, you're right there. <laughs> I'll jump into it because I realize, I must admit, I've never really watched a full episode of The Vampire Diaries. I think I've seen some clips you were in. Am I correct in assuming that the episodes end with the vampires on their bed, just writing in their diaries about the adventures of the day? Well, first of all, I have to end this interview here since you haven't watched any of my episodes. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was great to see you. But This I, was fun. Super fun. <laughs> you know what? There's um, very little diaries uh, at the point in which, I guess, at the point in which I was on, there's, there's little to no diaries happening. So there's that. But, you know, we could talk to the CW about their, their title accuracy if you want. True. Because I've seen episodes of The Flash and he never gets naked with a trench coat. So. <laughs> well, that's disappointing. When you got... On the Vampire Diaries, what was what was kind of that experience like? Because it's got to be strange as someone who is a fantastic comedian and performer to kind of be cast in a show that you're not there for your comedy chops, really. It was an interesting experience. Like, I have to say, because mo- I was coming off my first six months at the Sunday Company, The Groundlings, um, which I did with you. And... Um, So yeah, I was very much in sketch comedy mode in my mind. So I would be filming these like really sort of dramatic, intense parts. And then I would like kind of in my mind imagine really going like heightened version of it and just like giving a mouth snarl or just, you know, just doing the funny version of it. But um, I would also say like at that point in my career, I was sort of doing this thing where you know, my manager and agents and I was in this mindset of like, I'll take any job, like any, I can do it all. Give me anything and I'll do it just so I can work. And, you know, my mindset has changed a lot since then. Mm-hmm. Obviously it was such a good experience to do the vampire diaries and I loved it. I, I had a blast and what a great character that I got to play. Like so super cool. Yeah, you were a vampire hunter, right? I was a hunter. So I was, you know, sort of a bad guy as that show goes. Cause the uh, vampires are like, you know, those are the um, heroes of the show, but um, I got a cool backstory too. So we got to understand like why she was the way she was. So she wasn't all bad. So such a good experience, but I would say like after that, there was some mindset shifts for myself about like pursuing what I actually want to do or, or, or just being more focused and saying like, yeah, I really, really feel passionate and love comedy. And yeah, maybe I don't have to say yes to everything. Not that I would have said no to the vampire diaries, but I think I just like, that's how I ended up there being someone who, yeah, is really in a comedic, uh, person 
I think I have a comedic voice, you know, how I ended up on Vampire Diaries was I was just sort of like stuck in that actor thing of like, I'll do whatever, I'll do anything. Those kind of early moments of like the strong hunger of like, just let me work, let me prove it, I'll whatever the genre. And then you find that there's more power in the selection. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, like you said, there's a power to that. And then on the other side of the coin, there's a little of what happened to me, which, which was like spreading myself too thin by, by having the other mindset of like, I'll do anything. I can do anything. So, you know, I was, you know, taking classes and training and like kind of opening myself up to so much that, you know, that can lead to burnout. And then that also, you know, doesn't feel as focused maybe doesn't feel as fulfilling at the end of the day too. Yeah. It's the, it's the buffet effect where you're like, I'm going to load my plate up with everything I see. And you go, Oh, I'm allergic to half this stuff or I don't like the taste of it. (laughs) Or like, Oh, my stomach really hurts. I need to go to the bathroom now. I overdid it. See you in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So you're about a 30 minute average. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's my average. That's the Yeah. Talk to me on a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, it seems like you've given, you know, a lot of thought to kind of acting in your career and whatnot. Like, do you have a personal definition of success for yourself? Yeah, it is something I've put a lot of thought into. And it's definitely something that has changed over time with me. Definitely made a shift, I would say, in the last like four years or so of my career. You know, I've been at this kind of working at it since '05. You know, you hear a lot of actors just be like, I just want to be working. You know, I just want to be, I I just want to be a working actor. And I get that, of course, because like working is hard. But to me, that's not the definition of like success for me. And there was also a period where like the definition of success for me meant like, I want to be a star on a sitcom or, you know, these things that are not really goals that you can do for yourself. Like, yes, I could set the goal that I want to be on a sitcom, but you know, there's so many factors outside of my control that will lead me to that point or not. So my definition of success is really more inward and it's more about, do I feel happy? Do I feel balanced? And do I feel like I have a healthy life, my career included, right? So, um, because I've reached points of success where I've gone like, Ooh, that was what I said I wanted, you know, a year ago, two years ago. And then I got there and I felt like shit or I was in like one of the worst periods of my life or I, you know, had clinical anxiety and I'm like, wait a minute, this is like, this is the dream. This is like what I wanted to have happen for me. And I wasn't happy and I wasn't healthy. So for me, yes, like I want all the accolades. I want to be on all the shows. I want to be making all the money, you know, but as I've like learned from like doing this for long enough, like so much of that is out of my control that why base my definition of success on that. So my definition of success, I guess would be if I'm, if I'm working and making money at what I love to do and I can be happy and healthy doing that. It's very easy to put the definition of success on the external, but the tricky part with that is it's very hard to stay like present. But when you make it internal, it's a little easier to like really grasp the moments of like, oh, success. Like I'm 
being healthy and I'm, I am working, I'm surviving and I'm doing well and not striving for something that is completely out of your control. Yeah. And you can feel more successful more often <laughs> if you're engaged on the inside because, you know, you can check in with yourself any given day and go like, do I feel like I have, you know, that balance that I want? Am I working? Okay, check. Am I, you know, happy and healthy? Check, check. Okay. Or no, what, what's happening? What do I need to adjust? And by making the success about more holistic and everything, not just career, it kind of helps when there's down moments in whatever arena, but when it's only career, you almost don't even notice when things are good, when you are healthy, when overall life is good because you're like, well, I didn't book that thing or I didn't get that thing. And then when you make it internal, like you said, you can do the checklist and actually pinpoint areas where you don't feel quote unquote as successful. And then you can start to like work on them be like, oh, okay, what's going on with this? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I speak as someone who spent a long time, way too long, just gauging my success on career, you know, just gauging everything, every, just gauging everything on career. I spent a lot of time doing that and it, did not work out very well. You know, I, I had to, I hit a wall and I really had to reevaluate everything. When you look outside yourself too much, it's a recipe for kind of a disaster. Yeah. I did. I did a lot of that too, because this business can be so hard to navigate and, and it's nebulous and you don't kind of know there's no one trajectory towards success, but I, you know, grew up and all the way up until I started working professionally have been, you know, an A plus student. And if you do this homework and you, do, you know, study this amount, you'll ace that test and then you'll get the reward. And I was translating that to this business. And so I started looking at what other people were doing because I, that, you know, logically and, and in many other industries, that makes total sense what that you would, you know, okay, that, oh, that person went to this training school and then they got this and they did that. Okay. That's, you know, I want to be where they are. Let me compare and do that. But that's not how it works. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's a recipe for disappointment when you, when you compare yourself. Because success actually in this career could lead to fame and fortune. Have you also thought about like that side and like the potential of navigating that? Well, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't ever think about it. I, you know, it would be awesome to have fame and fortune, but you know, we have lots of examples also of how that's like ruined people. And I, you know, in the years I've been working, I've like gotten kind of close to people who have it. I will say that it's like more on the rare side when that person is also like seems healthy and happy and balanced, like, which is my definition of success. So, um, yeah, for sure. I would be lying if I said I didn't like the idea of fame and fortune is great, but like, especially in my mind, because of like the power that it allows you and the reach that it allows you and sort of like, hopefully the idea being like the good you could do with that reach and money. But I've never been like somebody who's like, Oh, I just, I need to make a ton of money and like, be rich and have a big house and like, you know, so I can say F you to all the assholes from before said I couldn't do it. Like it's just never been my attitude. That's where we differ. Right. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know from the moment I met you, I knew you're that type. Um, so yeah, I'd be lying if I said I never thought about it, but it's not, 
you know, in my definition of success is not necessarily something I'm striving for. Sure. Fame and fortune is more like an accelerant on whoever you are as a person. So if you've done the work on the inside and are in a good place, then there's a chance that when it comes your way, it won't throw you for a loop. Agreed. And done the work to just be the a good person. Have there been points in your career where you've have felt like you've hit milestones? Well, kind of, as I said before, I think I have hit some milestones. I've hit some goals. You know, weirdly, the big lesson has been like, oh, I thought this was going to feel a lot better than it did. You know, anywhere from like, you know, when I was first starting out, I would like write my goal for the year you know, book this many commercials or whatever, which I think is, you know, it's a great exercise to do. I'm not dogging it, you know, but I would get to the end of the year and look back and go, oh, I did it. Why do I feel like such crap? Like, why do I feel like I, A, didn't accomplish anything this year and B, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied in my life. You know, I would venture to say I felt similarly about my experience with the Vampire Diaries. Nine episodes on a beloved show. I hadn't done anything big like that yet. And I was like, this is it. This is awesome. This is such a milestone for me. And it was. And I was able to really look at it that way. But again, like during that time, I was maybe not the most depressed I've ever been, but I was in a dark place. You know, I can look back on it now and say that's because. I wasn't living a balanced life because I was so focused on my career. And, you know, some days when my mind's playing tricks on me, I go, well, that's how I got there by being so focused on my career. So that's how I got that big role, you know, but at the end of the day, like if that's what it takes, then I don't know, maybe I don't want that because I was really messed up at that time. It makes working like long hours on set away from home really difficult. So that combination was, was really rough and that was a milestone for me, but in the end it ended up being like a big learning experience. Which I feel like tends to be the case. Like you get these things and you realize, Mm. oh, this isn't what I thought it would be because it tends to be fewer or far between to like book these things or get these things. There's this added pressure of like, you've got to enjoy every second of it and you never know. But then eventually you realize like, you'll book again, there'll be other things and like, it's more of getting to the comfort of like just riding the waves, the ups and downs and knowing like the good and the bad, neither last. And you just have to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. like, but you know, it's very tough because you do put all this pressure on getting the job. And then when you get the job, you're like, I need to be the best at it. And then you're like, why isn't this fulfilling me? And it takes time to realize like, oh, because it's outside of myself and nothing outside Mm -hmm. of you can really fulfill you. 100%. Yeah. And I think that time in between the jobs that you're, you know, working so hard to get a booking, to keep your skills up and all that stuff, um, you forget. Like, I feel like I've learned that lesson over and over. Like I book a job and then I'm like, yeah, so great. You know, started at a high. And then it becomes that learning lesson of like, oh, either A, this is just a job and it's great. Happy to be working. Very cool. 
and grateful, but like still just a job. Like it's it all that buildup of trying to get the job convinces you that this is going to be like so awesome and so fun and like you're not going to get tired and like you know it's not going to be weirdly challenging the director is not going to be a dick to you you know you forget all that stuff is totally possible that you know you the people in it with you are going to be kind of weirdly shitty or awkward and then you learn it and you're like all right yeah okay i got to like remember that for the next time and then all this time in between jobs it takes time to find that next one and you're working so hard and it builds up again you forget and that's not to say that the jobs I've had have been totally horrible, but in the end, they are jobs. And with every job, there are things you have to adjust to. And I, I rile myself up and convince myself that it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Nothing's going to go wrong. It is this weird actor amnesia of like, I worked so hard to get this thing. I got it. And because I got it, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. And maybe, maybe a moment of it will be like that thing or hopefully a lot of it. But there, it's like you said, like, I think there is this misconception for people is like, oh, being an actor must be the most amazing thing. And you get to meet people and be on set. And like, these are perks, but you can tell someone, think about your job that you might love. There's still stuff that you're like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't really like that guy or that like part of my job. So it's the same thing. It's still a job. It's still work. Yeah, it's the same thing, but with this like, heightened weird pattern of having a job and not having a job and like i've heard people say you know the the best part of an acting job is getting it like that phone call from your agent or you know that moment you're like i did it and then it's like everything else is kind of a toss-up of whether or not actually going to be awesome or not yes now did you find with when you kind of had to reassess and look at things was part of it just being like oh wait there's bigger things going on besides acting Honestly, it started was like being so low and being like, why am I this low? Something's got to change. I do have a life. Like I have a husband. I have, you know, we have this life together and yet I feel this bad. Something's wrong. And I was so deep in it that I just like, I didn't even know what was wrong, but I knew I was getting stressed out and anxious and depressed about my career. I knew that. So that's where it started. And then it became like, oh, I need, you know, I honestly, I took sort of a mental break from work and stepped aside and, you know, let go of teams and just said like, I don't even know if I want to do this because I don't know if it's good for me. What I ended up finding was that it's not the business. I mean, business is hard, but it was my mentality and it was my mindset that was making it that difficult for me. So then once I realized that, it's like, yes, oh, okay, how do I fix my mindset? It's incorporating my whole life into what matters and, and incorporating my whole life into my definition of success or happiness or whatever, which include my husband and, you know, the, the greater picture of our life. And it's like, <laughs> took me a while. And then, but it's like, once I made that mind shift it was like well first of all shoot like I wasted all this time having a shitty mindset when I had this like cool life that could have been you know even cooler if I had been more focused on it but that was just for me just be the the lesson I had to learn mm-hmm. again realizing that like okay I'm getting these things that I've set out to get why am I not happy mm-hmm. and then doing the deep dive inside and being like what, what, what is it and I I get that that almost like probably fearful moment of like, 
oh, am I not meant to do this thing I've been pursuing? Is this actually like bad for me? And then you were like, oh, it's my perspective on it. It's how I'm thinking about it. It's the, I guess, maybe pedestal you're putting it on or all these other things, the pressure. And when you just make that shift, then you're probably in a place where you could actually really look at it and go, is this a thing I want to do? Like, I'm in a good place now. Now let's look at it because in a lot of ways, it is like another relationship where you're like, when things are bad in the relationship, you're like, I probably should get out of here. But you're like, wait, I should see when the relationship is good if I still feel like I should get out of there. Yeah, exactly. And like, what parts of this relationship do I actually like? Um, What parts can I kind of let go of? You know, Mm -hmm. do I really need to be seeing this person seven nights a week? (laughs) Or, Mm -hmm. you know, do I have to make time for my other friends? Or, Or, you know, yes, I think that was sort of like the mental shift was that I was like, I was exclusively dating, you know, a not great boyfriend who wasn't like giving me much. So Mm -hmm. now we're friends. And I know what contexts I want to hang out with him and what contexts make me feel bad. And so I don't do those contexts, you know? Yeah. What were some things, if you don't mind sharing that, like you were like, I could do without this, or I I need to make sure I keep this at bay. It was sort of like narrowing down the types of work I wanted to do, but spreading myself too thin. The idea that I could do anything and everything. I had to let go of that, you know, and I was like pretty deep in my career. So I would like say no. And I was in a place where I deep enough in my career where I felt like I could pick and choose things. And look, I wasn't saying no to very much, but I was also like before that saying yes projects, even roles that I would read and be like, Ooh, this is not great. Or I don't like this, or I don't even think I'd be good at this or but I would still go in. And as you know, it's like any given audition and I give my all to everything. So any given audition, I'm spending hours preparing, you know, all that time that you spend going there and stuff and that away on you, especially if you're like, this isn't really for me, but I think I have to do this. No, no, no. I had to let go of all of that. And sure, there's a time and a place in a person's career for that. I think especially at the beginning when you maybe don't even yet know what your thing is, this is a good way to find out, you know, you're trying out different things. But at that point I was, I had already sort of gotten to a place that where for years I kind of knew myself more and, but I was still subjecting myself to things that I didn't really want to do. So, you know, now Mm -hmm. I look at stuff and it's like, do I really want to do this role? Often it's, yeah, let's go, you know, let's do it. But I open up that possibility for the answer to be no, and then to say it. What is it about comedy that you just kind of feel like gravitating towards where you could possibly go down the route of a more dramatic actress or do other things, but what was it in your life that you're like, I'm really, I like comedy. Let's just do this. Well, I would say internally, you can just feel it. I can just feel it. If I'm being completely honest, there were times when I was doing the Vampire Diaries where I was like, am I doing this good? <laughs> like, like, no one's laughing. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. <laughs> no one's cracking up. I think it's hilarious. No, but like, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one thing is just the like sort of immediate gratification of a laugh. Not only the idea that that's bringing that person joy and happiness, 
the laughter, but also it's like, I can gauge when things are working or not working. I want to say for people who are like really dramatic actors, when they're doing their best dramatic work, I got to believe that they know in, to some level, they feel it. Like this is, this is it. This is what I wanted to do. I'm right in my pocket. And I, and I feel that when I do comedy. I do feel like I can get in my pocket. I know what that feels like. I know when I'm hitting it and I know what I have to do to get there. And I will say there's been times where I would get like an audition piece or something and be honestly be like, I don't want to go there. There's some like messed up stuff out there in some of these scripts or auditions that you're just like, oh, I got to like bring myself to that place. And if this, you know, if my hope and goal is to like be doing this several days a week. I just got to a point where I realized like, maybe I don't want to do that. And it's good. You're in a place now where you're able to see that and go, well, bigger picture, end of the day. It's not really where you feel like your wheelhouse is. It's not what you want to be doing. So thankfully you're not in that place again where you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. I'll do that. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look there, I say that, And there are so many people who that is their wheelhouse and it just comes so naturally to them. And like, you know, I was in this acting class with this, she was an older woman and she was like, as soon as I hit the certain age, I, I really hit my pocket of what did she, she called it like, um, Oh God, like the sad, desperate mother, you know, she just like hit this age where she just looked the part and she could tap into like, Whatever happened in her life, like she was so easily tapped into like being, you know, the sad mother of like the guy who got shot. And she was like, I started booking all the time and it was so fun and awesome. And in my mind, I'm like, yikes, that sounds awful. You're making yourself cry every day. And she was like, oh, I just really hit my stride. (laughs) So you're like, great. I know you've shadowed directors and you're dabbling in writing. Is that like another kind of like path you're looking at of like, you know what, like, I also really enjoy this side of it. And kind of where are you at mentally with those those roads? Yeah, I'm very interested in both of those roads. I think there comes a time in many actors' careers where they go, you know, I think I could really be a great director. Or, you know, I, I yeah, maybe I should just write something and, and sell it, you know. And I think like, by dipping my toes in those arenas I've learned like yeah though I mean obviously those are these are career paths that people spend their whole lives trying to master and so I'm really interested in it I would like to give it a try but I I do think that at where I stand right now you know my greatest gifts are in performance and whether or not I sort of parlay that into something else is yet to be seen. And I do, I do believe that people have long careers and I think that it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if I, if and how my life turns out, you know, because there's all kinds of factors. Like if I, I shadowed a director a couple of times and had such a good experience and learned so much and really felt like, you know, I could see myself doing this. But then I was like, yeah, if I was 22, if I could go back to film school or if I was at a different time in my life where I could just like continue to shadow directors all week for free, but I'm just not at that point in my life personally 
where I feel like, you know, and same thing with writing. Like, yeah, I, I do enjoy writing and I have ideas and I really think I could get down on it, you know, but to have a career in it, I'm like, yeah, if I was 22 again and could like take a writer's assistant job, um, but that's just not where my life is personally. And, you know, as has been the theme of our conversation, like that's where I got to look, you know, I got to prioritize my personal life. I agree with you that it's a, it's a long career. So mm-hmm. you kind of have opened yourself up to those paths kind of co- like converging and being something, but you've also been aware of where you are in the present and being like, okay, great to learn this stuff. Great to know this stuff. If they, you know, present themselves and suddenly I'm writing, it won't be a shock, but not necessarily like a square one start over. This is the new path. Mm-hmm. I think is a healthy dynamic. I was saying that for a lot of the people I talk to on this podcast, the dream is to act in something that you've written and that you direct. For me personally, the dream would be to have that happen a handful of times in my career because I think that I have some stories I want to tell and I'd like to be in control. (laughs) But if I'm being honest with you, the dream is really to get a job on a show that's regular and that I can show up and feel good about who else is on the team and play my part on the team and go home. When you've thought about your dream sitcom scenario, have you thought of like what role you want to play? Yeah. I mean, it, it changes, you know, it has changed over time. I think I would want to, in an ideal scenario, not be the lead, not have to be the the lead who tends to be the straight man. I would want to be the like the next character over who's like the funny one, the kookier one, the bigger one, the crazier one. I played the bad guy on a lot of Disney shows back in the day, like when I was really young. That was fun because I got to like really just be big and it worked because it was, you know, I wasn't the star. I was a guest. I was the bad guy. And so I got to like make really crazy, funny choices. I could see you crushing either like the comedic best friend or Mm -hmm. the real like fun aunt. (laughs) Right. The kooky aunt, the bitch next door, Mm -hmm. you know, the like the weird neighbor who knows everything about your life. Like, why does she know everything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've even thought about, as I mentioned, like I've done a lot of Disney shows back in the day and I've thought about like, man, you know, when I get to that place where I look old enough where I could be the mom, how fun would it be if there was like a fun mom role? And I feel like you really can fall into like a solid mom role because I performed a lot of times with Leslie and her mom (laughs) is fantastic. Just the most supportive, sweetest. But, (laughs) you know, without a doubt, if a theater says, please no filming, she's filming. (laughs) My mom don't play by the rules. No, she's got to. She's a nice lady, but she don't follow the law. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. She got to get that footage of her child. She follows the laws she agrees with. (laughs) Right. The law in her mind, which is the the highest of laws. Mm -hmm. Because she knows better than everybody. (laughs) what's it been like growing up and kind of performing and doing these things where your parents are there a lot like 
how does that kind of shape you as a performer? First and foremost, I'll say that I'm very fortunate and lucky. You know, I, I grew up here in the Valley in LA and my folks have always been supportive of my career and they do come to everything I am in live shows and stuff. I've done plenty of like sitcom stuff where, you know, you're, you're able to on show night, bring a guest or whatever. And my parents tend to come and that's, you know, partially their support for me, partially me wanting to include them in my success. You know, when I first started doing my mom as a character on stage, I was nervous, like how it would go. But from the very get go, she was super into it, really supportive. And, you know, for her, it's fun because she gets to go out in the hall, you know, afterwards and everyone's like, oh, you're Leslie Ann's mom. That's so, like, you're so funny. And then she gets to hold court. So she loves it. Well, now's the time in the show uh-huh. when I invite my special guest. Ooh. This is the famed insult comic, Mr. Raz he's Clifford. Famed. Yeah. He's, oh, Raz is here. Raz Clifford is here. He's, uh, he likes to stop by on this podcast just to take every guest down a peg. I need it. They're almost, almost famous, but he knows they're really close to fame. It's just the title for the podcast. And he, he just has to set them straight. Yeah. So I'm going to have him come, come on it. out. Yeah. Come on out, Raz. Okay. Hello, folks. It's Raz Clifford. Oh, so the guest is Leslie Ann Huff. Oh. We're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for this podcast, aren't we? Okay. Oh, my God. This is the dregs. Well, I I must admit I'm surprised to see you living in a house. With your lack of acting talent, I was almost sure you'd end up homeless. I guess I lost that bet. That's on me. Congrats on doing the impossible. Oh, my God. Now, what can be said about Leslie Ann that hasn't already been said about diarrhea? <laughs> For those listening who can't really get a sense of Leslie Ann, let me put it like this. Leslie Ann is to acting what Trump is to the presidency. <laughs> we know someone should stop it. But in a way, it's fun to watch the train wreck. Oh, Leslie Ann, I had to do it. You've been razzed. Oh, Gotcha. <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> also, Leslie Ann, before I go, stop writing me love letters. It's not going to happen. Just, I just get it out of your simple brain. <laughs> You're better off with that idiot husband of yours. You guys, uh, you know, match made in hell. So enjoy that. All right, I'm going to go. If you ever see me around, please do not look me in the eyes or address me. I don't want to. I don't want to vomit. Okay, bye. No. <laughs> All right, Raz. Thanks, Raz. Always such a pleasure. Yeah, he, he's a sweetheart. Uh, just keep just you humble, you know? Yeah, which we all need every now and again. I'm just glad to know he was getting my letters. Yeah. Well, he wasn't writing back, so I just wasn't totally sure. Was it getting lost in the mail? Or True. He was, so. he was, I think he was just trying to make sure that, like, he's like, if I write her back, that's kind of a sign that, to keep writing, even if he tells you to stop. So he was like, I think he'd open it up, read a couple lines, then he'd throw it out. He knows how I feel. Yeah. He would also talk about how sloppy the penmanship was, which was kind of a weird thing to, you know, pinpoint. But well, I know. my It's pretty bad. If not acting, what do you think you would be going for? What do you think career-wise? I've thought a lot about going back or going back to school 
And I've Ooh. thought a lot about academia, just, you know, um, I'm really into the social sciences. I majored in mass communication, which at the time, like, you know, I'm dating myself, but this was like before Facebook even blew up. And so I think that there's so much interesting stuff to study in that field. Um, yeah, going back to the social sciences, whether it be like, I don't even think it's called mass communication anymore. I think it's just called media studies. Going back into that field would be really interesting to me. I think there's so much that can and needs to be explored in the field of media studies and how it affects, how media affects us and our thinking as a society and as individuals. So I think if like, you know, God came down and was like, no more acting, because <laughs> that's mm -hmm. how God sounds. Yeah. Um, I would immediately go back to school. When you potentially think about or fantasizing about that moment, because I definitely have where you're like a guest on a late night talk show. Mm. Have you thought of like, oh, this is a story I'd like to tell? More than likely, I would tell a story about my mom. If I was a guest on a late night show, probably I would be there for a certain project. And I would probably just tell a story about my mom's reaction to me being on that project because it would allow me to do an impression of her on the show, which is one of my favorite things to do. Let me set you up like it's a late night show and you can talk okay. and we'll pretend like, okay. Well, we're here with Leslie Ann Huff, who's just fresh off of her premiere of the show, which is a hit. She's done several movies. She's fantastic. But you actually have a very supportive mother who likes to come to set. She likes to do a lot of stuff. Like, paint, paint us a picture of how your mom is on, on set. Sure. Well, first of all, my mom will come in and make a lot of noise because she'll be wearing, <laughs> carrying a lot of bags. So, you know, whether we're doing a take or not, my mom will, you'll hear the slight rustle of plastic bags. Why does she have so many bags? Because she needs to bring me food. <laughs> <laughs> She's always bringing me food, whether it be fruits or leftovers from something my dad made. Not her, because she doesn't cook, but something my dad made. Or she'll have brought food for everybody. Make sure that you give it to everybody. We brought that special for everybody in the show. You know, whether I'm... I'm working with um, Kristen Wiig or the whole cast of The Office. She's going to bring them a Filipino baked good that she got from the bakery a couple of days ago. And she's also going to want to know if everyone liked it. She will call me later to make sure everybody liked it. She will let her presence be known and she will need to take a selfie and or a picture with me and every person in the cast. So... I think on your next project, you need to just hire her as craft services. <laughs> no, because she only wants to feed me. I, I think she'd be a terrible craft service person because it'd be a lot of leftovers, a lot of fruits, and then there'd be little signs that would say, just pour Leslie Ann. Well, I mean, as a star, that would be the treatment you get. People would be like, okay, don't touch that food. That's, that's just for Leslie Ann. That's true. That's true. I mean, yeah. It's probably like once you reach that level of startup, you just want your whole cast to starve mm -hmm. and then you want to be the only one eating i mean maybe my mom has it figured out yeah well that's <laughs> so much fun that you have a you know your own person feeding you and paparazzi all at the same time yeah i mean it really saves money on um my own craft services and my pr really yeah yeah she'll brag about me to anybody I know. waiters i've met her 
I've, I've, I've seen her after shows that I've been in. She'll be like, was it Lizzie and Graham? I'm like, how was I? <laughs> What'd you think of me? <laughs> oh, you were in it? Congratulations. <laughs> well, Lizzie thanks so much for being on this podcast. It's always fantastic to see you and chat with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to see you and chat about this stuff. You know, like we're great buds and we do a lot of work together and we don't often talk about this stuff. So it is kind of cool to like get into it with you. Well, thank you again for being on the show and thanks for everyone for listening. I've been your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous. (laughs) 